Welcome to episode 81 of Friends of Film, a podcast guest has new news and theatrical releases. On this episode, we'll cover Channing Tatum in the Dark Universe, another Harley Quinn movie, the new Blade Runner trailer, and more. After you review Dunkirk, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and iTunes by searching Friends of Film. As always, I'm your host, Cooper Hood. Once again, joined by man, Happy Nolan is back, Josh Straley. Uh, I am I am super happy Nolan is back, and in probably the best form we've ever seen him in man wow okay yeah little little hint of your review there <laughs> uh yeah so we are going to be reviewing dunkirk the latest from christopher nolan you may know him from movies like the dark knight trilogy inception uh memento insomnia interstellar yeah. lots of other things uh he's a pretty great director we'll have to see whether or not he delivered another great movie in this one uh if we get into spoilers There'll be a timestamp in the description so you guys can skip ahead to the news. Uh, hopefully you've seen the movie, though, so you can stick with us throughout the whole episode. But, Josh, what did you think of Dunkirk? Uh, <laughs> Dunkirk is an experiment um, in how long an audience can collectively hold their breath, uh, whether or not they can do it for 105 minutes. Mm-hmm. And to no one's surprise, they can because Dunkirk is a movie is an experience really that once it starts, it doesn't stop. It's relentless between the, the drama on screen, the the three narratives that Nolan put into this movie all tied together with the incessant tick, 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 tick of Hans Zimmerman's score. Uh, it, it is, it's incredible. And it's my favorite movie of the year. Um, Every production award that's going to be given out at the Oscars next February, Cooper, is going to go to Dunkirk. Okay. Nolan pieced together the best period war film that I've seen. Um, I think it beats Private Ryan by a mile, but they're but they're both superb. Um, the the amount of like pathos that's in this movie. I mean, you as an audience member and in. It, in an IMAX theater, which is the only way to see this film, you just feel powerless in front of everything that's going on to those men on that beach in France. Uh, you're you're trapped with that British force on the, the claustrophobic cold beach, and you know you're just wondering what's gonna happen hour by hour. What new horror or terror is gonna come swooping out of the sky? And you know it's. It's incredible, like just the routine nature of the Luftwaffe bombing runs, where the entire a, a cast of six thousand people are diving onto the ground, you know, and then get up and act like it's all routine, and then go about waiting for evacuation. You know, you 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 watch Fee and Whitehead and Harry Styles and everyone else act silently on screen, but then just convey misery, but also some kind of determination and. Uh, you know, there the ideas of that the characters bring out in the movie of I don't want to go below deck because I don't want to drown, and you know, just swimming from horror to horror, and no one puts you right there. You're you're with them on that boat. You're with them not trying to drown. You're with Tom Hardy as he's counting down the gallons that are left in his uh, his airplane. Um, you, you feel the angst that Kenneth Branagh has trying to get his men home and watching like you know all these attempts fail. And you agree with Killian Murphy that you don't want to go back to Dunkirk because it, it's, oh, it's, it's terrible. It's horrible. And the, the visuals that 
he and Hoyt Man Hoyma were able to get onto screen were gorgeous, but also terrifying and uh, incredibly epic. I I was blown away by it. And, you know, it's 100 minutes long. It feels like two and a half hours because every every 10 minutes, every five minutes, something's changing. Something terrible is happening and you just... You just can't believe you're, you know, witnessing it. And how Nolan has always been good at, you know, showing you the stakes and getting drama out. But this is just next level. And I I cannot believe it. Um, the, the, the story takes uses three ways, two, three narratives. The mole, which is the beach, and the air and the sea take place over one day. And they all collide beautifully in the end in an action set piece that has like immense payoff at the end where you finally find um, relief for a moment in the film. And that was absolutely uh, terrific. Um, uh, you know, I already, I already threw out the names of some of the cast, but everybody nailed it. There wasn't much dialogue, but there was the silent nods, the looks and all of that was fantastic. Um, and, you know, I, I'm probably going to go on for a lot more here, but, but I'll let you get to how you felt. But it's a five of five. Okay. Um, it is. It's, it's my favorite movie, uh, and everyone who worked on it uh, was a part of something spectacular. How does it stack up for you against other Nolan uh, efforts? It's his. It's his best movie. Okay. It, it is wow. because it's. It's so physical and so. I don't want to say raw, but that's what it is. It's it's like it's everything that he's learned. It's the think of the opening of the Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. Think of that that it's heist. Great opening. It is, and it just it moves along like that. But imagine that playing out every act in almost every sequence, mm-hmm. and that's what you're feeling. And um, yeah, it was absolutely incredible. Okay, yeah, see, I like the comparison made there for Dark Knight because in that opening sequence of Dark Knight, you immediately, they instantly establish the presence of the Joker. Mm-hmm. If you're seeing a Batman movie, you probably already know who the Joker is, so they don't have to lay that much groundwork, but by the end of that heist, you know the Joker is a messed up dude, but he's super methodical. He knows, he plans everything out to the T and knows how to capitalize best for himself. And you get you understand his character from the get go. There's no questions moving forward of okay, you know, is he is he uh, is he crazy or is he actually evil or is he maybe good in some cases? Like there's no question about it. You know who he is from the start. And I think for me, that's where I had a my biggest problem with this movie was was the characters because it's a, it's a war movie and so we're there to experience war. I've never experienced war personally. Um, so in that case, I want to know why these guys are in these situations and why I should care for them to make it out. Other than just the fact that they are human beings. And at that level, I want, I want humanity to survive. I don't want these regular innocent soldiers to, you know, to die, but Nolan doesn't make, I wasn't going to start off this with my negatives, but I'm going to do it now. Uh, no, you got to, I just, they, <laughs> Nolan didn't make any effort to me 
to have any of these guys really separate themselves from being soldier B and C and soldier mm, 75. Okay. So in no other than Harry Styles, really, which I was, I'm shocked to say this. He was, I think the best performer in this movie. I think Tom Hardy was, he was fine. He was Tom Hardy, but he was, he had a mask on. He didn't say much. And that's, I think the direction that Nolan wanted, because I think this is very much his Oscar bait movie. This is the movie he's saying, look at me, look how I can direct this movie. It looks beautiful. And I'm getting my positives. I'm going all over the place with this, but uh, it, it look, it looks beautiful. He does, he does have the ability to craft tension. Yes, okay excellently there are like all the dogfight sequences with tom hardy were probably my favorite moments of the movie because just the way they shot it was something i've never seen before the way that they built up the tension uh was was cool and that was the stuff along with the music of hans zimmer's score it came like all of the stuff christopher nolan uh uh hoitma and zimmer all kind of came together just to do something epic in those moments but I know you were a big fan of the multiple storylines. I I knew you were going to have an issue with I that. I wasn't as yes. much because, not because it's, oh, it's multiple different storylines, but it was that coupled with the fact that I didn't really care much for these characters mm-hmm. where I was watching multiple stories about multiple people that I didn't care about and that the only one I really cared about was Harry Styles because he was allowed to speak. He was allowed to give some emotion where all the rest of those guys were just regular soldiers that I, you know, I don't, I don't, I didn't care that much whether or not they made it out or if, if they were shot or if they drowned or whatever the case was. Um, but the other thing that bothered me about the story structure was that because the, the stuff with it's the mole, right. Is the beach yep. uh, stage that takes place over a week. Right. And then the boat stuff takes place over a day, but then Tom Hardy's story takes place over an hour. And as he's flying around the ocean, you see, shots of boats and stuff and at certain points you realize oh i know who's in that boat i know who's in that boat so i know where these characters are going Mm -hmm. i know how they end up but i still have to wait 30 minutes to find out all right so how did they get from being in this boat safely to being in this boat and you know drowning or whatever so that bothered me because i was like you took you took away the suspense a little bit there because now i now i know like yeah i probably would have guessed that it's not gonna end well for these guys but now i know for a fact that all right so their journey kind of ends with them being in the middle of the ocean stranded drowning fire around them whatever it is uh let me go back to my notes real quick i but i'm not i'm not you know, hating on the cast. I thought the cast was fine. I just, I wanted more from their characters. I think that's more of a criticism on Nolan's style for this film, but I get why he did that because again, I think this is him trying to praise himself in a sense. Yeah. He wrote this film himself and that immediately caught me off guard because like he usually doesn't write anything. Then you realize, Oh, there's not a lot to write outside of like the narrative of the story, which was like the, the, the the lack of dialogue. I thought going in would be something that like, okay, that'd be like explained. It's war. People aren't going to be super talkative in war sometimes, but in like certain instances, you're like, if I was in this situation, I would be talking to this person, not just like giving them a look. Like Mm -hmm. the first time, like Fionn Whitehead encounters this other guy who plays a larger part moving forward. They just like stare at each other while Fionn Whitehead's taking a dump and the other dude's burying a body. Yeah. And then like they help like carry the dude off on a stretcher. Like they don't say a word to each other the whole time. And I'm like, man, if that's me, like I'd be like either stop watching me take a dump or can I help you? Like <laughs> you wouldn't just like sit there silently and look at each other. Right. Like, that's at least like that's the way I perceived it to mm-hmm. be. 
So like, I get why he made those decisions to not include the dialogue because then it's Nolan as a director showing that he can still maintain my attention throughout all this lack of dialogue. Um, but it felt like it was more of his choice to do that as a directorial style than a thing that would like improve the movie or was necessary to make the movie the way it was. Like, I don't, I think you could still include dialogue in this prominently and Nolan could still come out looking like a genius where instead, because he didn't do that and stuff, I think that it knocks it for me uh, where I, you're saying it's his best movie. I think personally, it's my least favorite Nolan movie. Whoa. Uh, just because I think there's, I think there's great elements to it. Mm-hmm. I think uh, on a technical aspect, yes, it's great. But from a story perspective and the characters, uh, it was just very just non-existent in parts and didn't connect with me. So I had a, you said like the movie is like, Oh, it was like an hour. It was like 90 minutes long, but it felt like two and a half hours. Like I felt that kind of dragging in a certain, in certain points where I'm like, right. These guys have like been in a boat for like 30 minutes. Like really? Okay. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Like, and this is like, I, it's so weird because like, you know, I see the, this movie, beforehand and it has like all this critical praise and like i'm expecting it's nolan I, i'm gonna love it uh because he hasn't done me wrong yet I, I i don't think this is a bad movie okay you know yeah we have that but established it is you know basing it off of nolan standards and everything i think if this was if this wasn't a nolan movie then i think it'd be criticized more because people be like well why why aren't these guys speaking how come they're doing it this way and i'm not saying nolan's getting a pass because he's nolan but I just think that it doesn't quite live up to the standards he has set for himself in the past. So I'm going to give it three and a half star ticket stubs wow. out of five. I think this is our biggest. Di- I think is this uh, our biggest diverge. Maybe I def- definitely in terms of you having it so high and me being sure. like, I really liked it. Yeah. But I have all these other problems with it. Of course. So. Gotcha. My five is like giving it a seven and your three and a half is like <laughs> giving it a three and a half. Right. Yeah. I gotcha. Okay, yeah, no, you, 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 you touched on some things that I know certain other people um, had issues with. Uh, a couple columnists for The Ringer uh, touched on the dialogue issue mm-hmm. that you're you're watching um, you're watching a portrait be painted on screen more than you are ex- um, engaging with what's happening, and that, that's why I think seeing it in IMAX may be yeah, the reason to do it, that. It is great in IMAX, yeah, by the way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, especially, like, I, I sound so crass when you say the sound editing is, oh, no, but is, it's, is it's, good. It's great, Because it's so, it's so dumb, like, to point that out. But it is, it, it is remarkable. Um, and every, te- like, the, the, the technical aspects of it blow me away. Maybe that's why I'm still, I'm still blindsided here. But, um, <laughs> that's or, the, like, I, I am totally ag- agree with you on the technical aspect, sure. but it's just the, the, you know, like I love a movie like Lone Survivor, mm-hmm. a movie that is, you know, based on how much you like that core group of four guys. Yeah, relationships. And in that movie, I am totally on board for uh, Taylor Kitsch and Mark Wahlberg mm-hmm. and um, oh, yeah. uh, the other people that are in that movie as well. Those are the only two I remember. Uh, there's another one that uh, he was in Hell or High Water. I can't remember. I'm blanking on his name. Not Chris Pine. The other one. Um, but anyways, like that movie 
I loved those characters and the relationships. So when they start like getting picked off one by one and getting like brutally damaged and injured, I'm like, this sucks. But like in this movie, like, you know, like there was no difference for me. Like this scene is shown in the trailers. So you, you don't know the context necessarily, but there's like a scene in the trailers where a guy gets like, he's like looking out like a hole in a boat and then mm-hmm. he gets shot in the movie. That's just like one of like the random guys they kind of tag along with. Yeah. But there was no difference for me if from that guy getting shot to if that was Fionn Whitehead or Harry Styles, which I feel like there should be. I feel like if I'm following these guys for so long, I'm at, for such a heavy amount of time that I should know some idea of why they're in the war to begin with, what 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 is driving them to make it out of their alive? Because we see guys just kind of go off and float off in the ocean. Like, how come these kids don't want to do that? Like, why do they want to continue to struggle through this outside of the fact that they just want to survive? Yeah. Like, I just wanted to know more about who these people were, uh, which just ultimately hurt the movie for me. Okay. Yeah. See, like, I I I think it's different than that. I mean, the, the I think the film survives on emotion like you watching the movie is part of the movie Mm -hmm. i i I believe that okay and that's why and that's why i think it works is because i don't really care so much about fee and whitehead as a character Mm -hmm. but i'm 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 experiencing at least in the most visceral way a theater can bring that to you of what he's going through okay at least at that moment one minute you're totally fine doing a routine guard check. Next thing you know, four of your four of your mates are gunned down and you're the only one left. And you know, you're back on the beach and so and it's all about surviving. And because no one made a point to get us in the nitty gritty of what was going on and like, you know, uh the instinct to survive. So when we see Fee and Whitehead and that guy, you know, give each other a look and then you know, make breakneck speed for the medevac boat with the stretcher because because they think if they get on board with him, they have a chance of going home. Mm-hmm. And that's when they, you know, they um, slip down to below the dry dock and then or the dock and then wait for the next boat and then just pretend that they were they'd jump off it. Yeah, yeah, like they the, were on their the, way home. You know, definitely clever. It was it was like all these things where I was thinking, yeah, I would have done that because I don't want to be there. I want to go home too. And I thought he just did a phenomenal job getting that feeling across by showing us the terror that these men were going through for that entire seven days i mean just like in the the routineness of them jumping off of boats and swimming like back and forth like five or six times was just kind of like oh man they know how to survive and i i I don't know i just thought that was immensely awesome um the editor was lee smith Mm -hmm. so he definitely had a hand in you know getting all of this together so but, you so you were kind of watching it as like almost as like a third party like if you were there like you were and you were experiencing it kind of yeah, right wasn't that isn't that the point you know I mean it, uh and that that was the my thought of going into the movie okay I knew that this was gonna be sort of like a virtual reality uh-huh. situation okay and it was like a living painting of where you're supposed to put yourself in that situation. And uh, I at least did that for me. Yeah, I guess, I guess I did, I did not go that. into it with that mindset of, sure. all right, now I get to experience what it's like to be in war. Like that was not, that yeah. wasn't my 
thought going into it. I wanted mm-hmm. to see, okay, how how will Nolan do a war movie? And he definitely did it his own way. That is clear. Um, but I still I still would have liked to know more about these characters and to not know 20 minutes in advance how these characters are going to cross paths with these other characters and everything. So uh, thankfully, Colton was not able to be here today because otherwise I'd be ganged up on. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. Terms of, do, you uh, have, do you have a quick thought from him about the film? I don't have anything officially from him. I know he loved it. Yeah. He would have given it five. Uh, Ticket subs as well because he's a huge Nolanite. Loved it. Uh, he's seen it twice. Initially, actually, the uh, theater in Fort Wayne, the IMAX theater, was having IMAX projector issues. Oh, boy. And we didn't know if it was going to be fixed in time. So we were actually planning on going down to Indy Thursday night to see it in 70 millimeter IMAX. Oh. Uh, but the theater did get fixed. So we ended up just staying here and watching it, thankfully. So, yeah. But yeah. Uh, do you have any other, do you have any other thing you want to talk about with Dunkirk? I have, I think I mostly spilled through everything I had. Um, yeah, I think I'm good to go. But this is, this is your clear cut. Number one, this is my favorite movie of the year. Okay. And this is my favorite for the Oscars already. I don't even need to see what the fall lineup is going to be. Right. Um, best yeah. picture, best director, best direct, best picture is a, cinematography editing Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. everything okay yeah sound all all those technical things i think it's a shoe in best picture probably if you had if you had to guess right now how many oscars do you think it goes home with not nominations does it win oh 10 10 oscars i think i could get 10 i really really do sound editing and mixing there's two there yep if they get editing He's not going to get a screenplay nod or a script nod, I don't think. Uh, if he gets directing, best picture. I mean, if Harry Styles gets a best supporting, it's like six. I don't, I, that, that is super far fetched, though. Uh, I could, I could see them getting like. I mean, there's probably. I mean, maybe like. Oh, winning, not nominations. Yeah. Shoot. Okay. Yeah. No, ten is beyond the pale. Uh, you know. Yeah, five sounds good. You think he's going to win? They're going to win five. I think they can get five. But you think they'll get ten nominations? I I think so. Okay, I I would probably go a little less. I would say it'll probably get six and or seven noms. Just because sure. I don't know where the other ones will go outside of the ones I counted. Mm-hmm. Besides, like you know, costume design or some of those other ones that I'm not remembering right now. Yeah. Um, because I I don't think it's going to get any for performances. No. Or screenplays, so that's you know, you know, six categories right there. It's automatically disqualified for. So, who knows? Uh, we will definitely see. I definitely think it'll definitely be in the conversation. Uh, whether or not it would be my pick for best picture, it would not. No, I. It wouldn't be my. I don't think it'll be mine at the end of the day okay. either. But just the the love and care that went into this movie, and the I think I think the innovation too. Mm-hmm. Remember, these are IMAX cameras. They right. are not. They're they're not small. It's not a red cinema, uh, you know, type handheld. This is they strapped these things to Spitfires to they they had naval vessels out of retirement and uh, I just the sheer quality of work um, from a guy that I just I can't help but root for mm-hmm. Nolan. Um, yeah, I mean, when I when I think of this is my love letter to Nolan here real quick. But okay. when I think of this him, lend us out the when I think of what he did with the following, which I stumbled across. In the 
in the lull period between The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises. And learning how he did that movie, shooting it on weekends, all by himself, no film school, any of that background. And then to see him do the largest, you know, set piece, I think, that probably in movie history. I know at least aquatically Mm -hmm. he broke some kind of, he broke a record for that. Uh, You know, I I think it's the perfect culmination, so... Sucks that we don't agree. I mean, th- that completely. Yes. But you did like yes, it. Yes, I do like it. I know I'm coming off negative because I think I, I'm trying to balance out the overwhelming positivity. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I totally agree. Technically, it's a great achievement for Nolan. Um, but that's all we have for Dunkirk. Uh, before we get to our break real quick, just really want to quickly want to plug the big sick. I saw it this week. Oh my gosh. It's one of my favorites of the year. It is absolutely incredible. Camille and Johnny, uh, is a genius. So awesome. definitely go see that if you want. Like for me, like it's total opposite. That is an all character movie. Mm-hmm. I think if I do an Oscar prediction from this weekend, Holly Hunter, best supporting actress, give it to her. She was awesome. Sweet. But that's all we got for Dunkirk. Uh, we will be back in a bit with the news. back with the news and our first story here is about chaos walking where the Hollywood reporter has revealed that Mads Mikkelsen has joined the cast of chaos walking as the villain he's described as quote a ruthless mayor of Prentice town who is searching for the young man he once mentored and who is religiously uh, minded keeper of his own secrets and is planning to expand his reach Ooh. so Mads Mikkelsen joins Doug Lyman's project with Daisy Ridley and Tom Holland Sounds like a good fit as a villain for me. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, uh, the he, Mads is Mads is great at playing some kind of like anti-hero villain. Mm-hmm. Like I think of his Rogue One character, and I'm like, I can't believe how much I liked him in that. But right. I think about all the other movies where I've seen him just play some kind of like one of the most vile people imaginable. Uh, Casino Royale, I think, oh, is yeah. the one that jumps the, the front of my mind. But yeah, he's perfect for a dystopian mad man uh so who's you know hearing everyone's thoughts and have, has gone insane from it so perfect yep uh we also got uh, an interesting update on the dark universe where the hollywood reporter did this article this last week kind of dissecting the future of a lot of major franchises following this uh year so far and when they touched on the dark universe they gave a interesting update on the van helsing movie they have been planning saying they're currently uh polishing the script and they are eyeing Channing Tatum to star as Van Helsing. Oh no. You don't want to see that? I don't want the the national treasure that is Channing Tatum <laughs> raked into the the slime that is the dark universe right now. Yeah, especially for Van Helsing, which is the what, what's your take on that? Channing I mean, listen, if Channing Tatum wants to do it, whatever good for him man he'll get paid big to even show up yes um but no i i don't i don't need a van helsing movie with chatting tatum you know scaring me or playing some dark moody guy right that's not what i go to the theater for is it i mean at least no. for him i mean unless he's like gonna like put like a fun spin on it where he like is like a fun monster hunter killer <laughs> like i don't i don't know how this works uh again i'd love to see tatum in a bigger role continue to spread his wings and everything mm-hmm. but 
if uh, I mean between this and like Gambit, like he just needs like thankfully he's in Kingsman, the Golden Circle, so at least he's got a really good big franchise under that, that he's part of now. But uh, I'd rather him do other things. I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I I am still waiting for the Dark Universe to impress me before I care about a Van Helsing movie or whatever else is to come. Yeah. And you know, Van Helsing is overdone and I, I don't know how many times I need to see the same guy dress up in black with dark black hair, you know, Mm -hmm. hunting Dracula or vampires or parademons or demons, whatever the case is. Um, if they want me to be interested in a Van Helsing movie, go, go the Buffy, the vampire slayer route that, that would get me into it. Interesting. Um, but yeah, no, no, don't, don't ruin, don't ruin the golden boy for, (laughs) You know, $30 million. Not worth it, guys. Yeah. Come on. But uh, moving over to Sony's Spider-Verse, that hashtag show revealed a some info on the villains for Silver and Black. Uh, according to their sources, uh, Mendelstrom, a.k.a. Gaunt, Tarantula, the Chameleon, Tombstone, and Scorpion will be the villains uh, in Silver and Black uh, in some capacity. We don't know who's the main villain, who's the just the cameo guy, but... When they mentioned Scorpion, they specifically said that it was going to be the Mac Gargan version, which if you saw Spider-Man Homecoming a couple weeks ago, that is who Michael Mando plays in the MCU. So, does this mean that this is in the same universe? Yeah, it, it has to. Or will they cast a different Mac Gargan? No, I mean, well, first of all, you have a great one, you know, just showed up in Homecoming. He he will crush it if you know, as Scorpion. Yes. And they want to give backstory to a guy, right? And this seems like the movie that's taking off. You know, let's see when's production begin next year, right? Uh, this I fall? think they're hoping for this fall. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's already those pieces are already in place, so I don't think they would recast. And it's the same guy. Yeah, absolutely. That's interesting. I never even considered the fact that it could be a prequel story for him in a sense where they could show him starting off as the scorpion instead of in my mind i was like well he just went into jail so like he's mm-hmm. already out or what like that doesn't make any sense um but yeah I mean, maybe that could work that way uh it does seem like a lot of villains to include in the movie but then again homecoming just had like four or five and they did it pretty well so maybe sony's doing the same route where the chameleon's the big bad of this movie or whatever, and then all the rest of them are kind of just like his hench guys, but who knows? Yeah, um, well, Gaunt is, Gaunt's the most interesting one, though, because okay. he's an evil scientist who experiments with robotics, and... So maybe um, he's helping out these other guys? Uh, he would seem like the mastermind of okay. all these, especially um, Chameleon and Tombstone seem like B-level people, sort of like we saw with like the Shocker right. or you know all those other characters where they kind of like they're there, they can have their own storylines if you uh, you need them to, but they also just kind of like are supporting cast. But yeah, no Gaunt is Gaunt is yeah robotic and he does some like he experiments on people with like all mm-hmm. this stuff. So I don't know if that's part of the big plot there or whatever the case may be. But yeah, yeah. So uh, whenever this movie starts casting. That's when we will figure out whether or not this is a MCU movie tied into Homecoming or if this is a completely different thing. Because if Michael Mando shows up on set or on a casting call for this, then we know Silver and Black is part of the MCU. If mm-hmm. they cast somebody else, then it's you know it's confirmed right then and there that 
these are separate universes for good, and then we can finally uh, stop wondering whether or not that's the case or not. So, uh, speaking of Spider-Man Homecoming, though, the Hollywood Reporter officially revealed that John Watts is in talks to come back and direct the Spider-Man Homecoming sequel. No surprise, considering the movie is, uh, I believe, already crossed $500 million worldwide at the box office. Plus, it has great reviews on Rotten Tomatoes and everything else. So, we've both seen Spider-Man Homecoming a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Are you happy to see uh, John Watts potentially? And all, you know, it's, it's, it's very likely, and they might as well just confirm it because it'd be odd if he didn't come back at this point. But yeah. are you happy to see him back? Oh, yeah. Heck, yeah. He deserves it. Um, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and attribute the poppy vibes and like you know the fun youthful energy of the entire movie to him mm-hmm. so he has to come back and then i mean plus he's working with a lot of young actors so his rapport with them has got to be you know really key to getting you know what he wants from them and he knows how to interface you know has how to interact with them he knows how to get what he needs so of course yeah bring him back uh it's a no-brainer yeah so uh i think i mean he he was he did a really great job with homecoming uh i I don't know if that's his touch, the poppy, uh, you know, coming of age aspects, or if that's just the pitch that Marvel was like, okay, pitch us your version of this. Um, But whatever aspects he brought to the table, he did it in a great way because Mm -hmm. I really loved the movie. So the fact that he's coming back doesn't surprise me because Marvel loves to keep the directors around if they do successfully on the first movie. So the fact that he's coming back for the sequel means he uh, gets to start work pretty soon to hit that 2019 release date. So, uh, moving over to the DC universe, however, Screen Rant reported this week that Warner Brothers is developing another Harley Quinn live-action film for Margot Robbie. Uh, in addition to Gotham City Sirens, this new proposed script that they're working on uh, pits Harley against her put-in, The Joker, uh, with both Robbie and Jared Leto reportedly already attached to the film uh, should it actually come to fruition. So, uh She's probably going to be in Suicide Squad two. She has Gobble City Sirens lined up. Now mm-hmm. this, uh, are you? Do you want to see this movie at all, or are you more interested in other things from her? They set this up. I mean, in Suicide Squad, in in the half hour, forty five minutes of backstory that they put into that movie, this is there. I mean, the seeds of it are there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, it would be a really cool. I think take on, you know, her finally being like, all right, I'm done. And then he'll be like, no, cause he's obsessed or they're both obsessed or whatever the case is. And it leads out to like all out turf war. Mm-hmm. Could you see that going, going on? Would you like I, that? I don't know. This doesn't really interest me. <laughs> Honestly, okay. like I'd rather her be, I'd rather see Gotham City Sirens. I think her teaming up with Catwoman and Poison Ivy battling the Penguin or Deathstroke or whoever. That sounds like a better movie to me than mm-hmm. watching Harley and, joker just kind of mess with each other for an hour and a half or two hours like that doesn't interest me that much um so personally i hope this is not the case uh there have been other outlets and reporters who have said this is not true so we'll have to wait and see whether or not it is um but you know with if you listen to our comic-con episode that uh, came out yesterday they'll there were no direct harley quinn properties attached to their lineup outside of her being in Suicide Squad 2, but then again, she broke out at the end of Suicide Squad, so why would she be in Suicide Squad mm-hmm. 2? So, the uh, future of Harley Quinn is, weirdly enough, up in the air. Yeah, I mean, it's it's there, but there's no clear direction. Yes, we know she'll be back, but we don't know how it's or like where or when. Schrodinger's character. 
No, that doesn't make any sense. There are like 20 different ideas for movies for her. Yes. And none of them seem to be actually putting rubber on the road. Yes. So uh, sticking with the DCEU, though, Warner Brothers did make some announcements in terms of dates for upcoming movies. They did not specify which movies these were going to be, just that they are currently untitled or unannounced DC uh, live action movies. Uh, both for 2020 the first one comes out on valentine's day february 14th the other one uh first weekend of june so with these dates in place uh previously they already had cyborg dated for april of 2020 and green lantern corpse for july of 2020 do you think that these new dates are replacing those movies or are those movies staying in these dates or you know, so Cyborg going to come out on Valentine's Day. Is Gunnatra going to come out in uh, June? Or are these new dates for completely different properties and Cyborg Green Lantern aren't hitting these dates anymore? You know, that's that's really hard to say. But, I mean, we talked about the slate that they announced. And we've also talked about the hundreds of ideas they have floating out there. I mean, mm-hmm. we still don't have anything solid for Nightwing. We nope. don't have anything solid for Batgirl yet. And Batgirl's on their slate, but we don't know what the date is. But yeah, like that, Gotham City Sirens wasn't on their slate, Black mm-hmm. Adam, Man of Steel 2, uh, even Cyborg wasn't. So who knows? Yeah, I mean, I imagine one of those is going to go in there, but um, they just, like, the machine is churning out all of these ideas, but no one's picking them up and saying, okay, let's actually do this. Right. And I don't know, we just, there's so many directors out there that are just like, they haven't, there hasn't been a home run been hit yet for a lot of these properties so yes. far. And, yeah. you know, I mean, DC keeps, is like continuing to just stake them out. So like, you know, maybe it'll happen. Right. Yeah. It was weird because like they did this, like WB officially made these dates. Like, it's not like, oh, like this is like a leak or something. Like they officially said like, we are releasing DC movies on these dates. So then for Comic-Con to roll around and then to release an order kind of, of their movies, but not attach dates to them that they just placed is odd. Um, before that lineup came out, I was thinking Gotham City Sirens on Valentine's day. That seems like that'd be a big hit for females, but guys as well for uh, that movie. But then June uh, 2020, I think Wonder Woman 2 would have been a great spot. Three years from the first one. Mm-hmm. Basically the same weekend uh, based on that slate. It doesn't look like that's the case for either of these, but so who knows what, what what's going to be in these dates now or if the, we'll even have movies on these dates you know, in three years. Yeah, absolutely. And the, like, the crazy thing is why wouldn't you have already given Wonder Woman a date mm-hmm. when it's your... It's your most successful movie, clearly. Yeah, absolutely. I mean from critics to um, money and it's hold at the box office across the months. It's been a month already. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. But like it's only, it's been like a month. It's been six weeks, six, seven weeks since it's been theaters. Yeah. And like it's over $800 million worldwide. It's the highest grossing movie domestically of the year. Uh, It probably won't be the biggest DC movie because of Batman v Superman. And it has like eight sixty or something worldwide. And one will probably come a couple million shy short uh, a couple million short of that, but uh, yeah, I think it's uh, it's crazy not to have a, put a bigger push on your Wonder Woman sequel. Yeah, right as it's still in its like prime, you know, forefront of everybody's mind. Mm-hmm. And you know, like I I constantly say, like cynically, 
they're they're about making money <laughs> this movie made you money and had good reception yep. and you're just sort of sort of so far been like we'll get to it when we get to it yeah. <laughs> and it's weird so uh that's all the news we have but we do have a trailer we wanted to end on because we had our newest trailer for blade runner 2049 mm-hmm. Hmm. hit this week ahead of comic-con uh they did touch on at the panel for one of us but uh, we already had a pretty packed comic-con episode and we thought it'd be best to save it here because they did release it early but josh what'd you think of the latest trailer for blade runner 2049 denny villain waves movie is looking immaculately awesome like he first of all he's i think he's a visual genius um and he's showing that everywhere in this film and i am blown away every time i see this you know the this 20 this 21st century cyberpunk universe from the 80s brought out and just in more brilliant colors it's got like the john wick vibes yeah uh to it with the neon these purple and or yeah pink and purplish and blue Blues, hues yeah, yeah. um just reflecting and casting shadows on characters uh, i'm absolutely loving it um and then i have to owe you an apology because i think i said jared leto may not be our villain in this movie Uh he's clearly the villain i mean we saw that i mean he just he looks like he is creating an army for war uh now as opposed to just being like you know the the master creator if you will or anything like that but the only thing i have to say i'm worried about is this movie is starting to look like an action movie Mm -hmm. and not like sci-fi detective agency detective nor i think that's just for the marketing though i i hope so and that but it's it's starting to feel that way and like because the best part of the original was that it was just it was deckard solving a puzzle doing his thing um but what did you think because this was this trailer was how everything i felt yeah yeah i thought i mean just like the ones that have come before this is a beautiful looking trailer uh i mean when you're you know you denny always is able to pull that off so Mm -hmm. it's it's no surprise there uh score was great once again loved it and yeah i thought jared leto actually looked really good as the villain not just like oh like he he is the villain for sure but i actually think like he looks like he's going to be able to pull it off uh which is good to see for him following suicide squad and everything so uh I mean, there's definitely a more there's a more emphasis emphasis on Gosling and Ford pairing up together, but they also kind of pose these larger questions about mm-hmm. like Jared Leto saying like, "I have the lock, he has the key. Who has the key? What is the key? What is the lock even locking? Like, yeah, it's like the potential for the future of humanity and everything. I I'm assuming is what it is because like later on, uh, the the trailer ends with. Uh, I think it is Leto still saying uh, the future of the species is finally unearthed. Yeah. And it's like they start with a shot of four, then they end that with their quote, the shot of Gosling. So like is Gosling the f- somehow the future? Is he a replicant? Is he some new hybrid thing? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's very interesting. That's yeah. all I know. There's super Battlestar Galactica like vibes. If you ever watch the series, the, the sci-fi did. Yeah. It got weird. Uh, fast uh-huh. but the idea of was like where's the line between robots and humanity type of a deal and it looks like they clearly took this um, the question getting raised in Blade Runner to uh, looks like there's going to be a revolution because Robin Wright who is 
I really hope she survives this movie and can <laughs> stick around for those two sequels that they're planning. Are they right? doing two sequels? I think that's the talk of it, right? Interesting. If everything goes remember, well. I don't remember seeing that. I okay. don't want to. Yeah, I feel like we did talk about maybe. this. Maybe. Maybe we did. Right, I forgot yeah. about it. Um, so, and she's like, she's just talking and alluding to like, you know, as Blade Runners, like we have to keep the peace because if replicants realize they're not different than humans and they want like equality and all sorts mm-hmm. of things like that, then there's like, going to be some serious problems. And, you know, Deckard was, and that's why, you know, Deckard, you know, having that existential crisis at the end of Blade Runner was sort of like the, well, if they don't know they're replicants, then where's the, where's the line at? Right. So maybe that's what Gosling is. He's, he's the, the ultimate, the pinnacle of that or whatever the case is. But yeah, it's, it's looking really, really good. Yeah. I mean, he is definitely not just a regular human. Like that has become clear for mm-hmm. me from the trailers where like the first one ended with like the book and he's like, uh, the voice was like, his story has not yet been finished or told or whatever. And yeah. it's like, all right. So, you know, pages of his story are missing. Like, mm-hmm. okay. Like, and then with this one, the way it ends here, like, there's definitely something different about him. I don't know what it is exactly, but I'm definitely interested to find out more this November. Yeah. And I'm really looking October. forward to them telling us why Decker became a fugitive, mm-hmm. but I'm, we know Harrison Ford's good at that. So, uh, we'll be interested to see where that goes. Yeah. You didn't No, you didn't catch it. I do not. The fugitive. Nope. Okay. Nope. All right. <laughs> Any other thoughts on the Blade Runner trailer to close no, us out? I'm just mad that you didn't get my Harrison Ford reference. Sorry. You can explain it to me after we're done closing out the show because that's all we got. So uh, what are we going to be reviewing next week, Josh? Do you know? I don't. It Shoot. is Atomic Blonde, I believe. Yes. Uh, next latest from uh, it's David Leach is directing it. I believe. And uh, Charlize Theron is starring in it. Looks like the female John Wick, basically, uh, because it's, it's from him. So are you excited for it? Oh, absolutely. Not only to see Charlize Theron kick some series, but, you know, in the prequel of her efforts to get her Furiosa standalone movie. Oh, so make it happen. That is the reason you need to see this movie. If I think WB runs um, Mad Max, is that who has the rights yes. to that? Yes let them know that she can hold down her own movie. I mean, if anything, they should know based off one woman that those movies can succeed. Yeah, so. <laughs> absolutely. But let's, let's, let's let them know that Charlize Theron can bank a movie like that. Um, and then of course there's go, go for James McAvery's weird sidekick guy that he's playing too. I mean, there's John Goodman in there and it, and it, it looks like loads of fun. So is Sophie Batella there too? Sophie Batella is in there yeah. too. Yep. I mean, yeah, this is a great cast. The action looks incredible uh i don't know what the story is outside of it's just looks like somebody frames uh charlize theron's character so how she gets out of that i have no idea but it looks like it's going to be super violent super fun uh and that's really all i'm hoping for so if it can deliver on that then we could have a hit on our hands and hopefully yeah uh other people do see it as well because then they can listen to our review next week of it, but also then it can do well at the box office. And they've said that they have ideas for uh, future movies as well. So I would definitely be, I mean, we have, we've not seen the movie yet. So it's maybe it's premature for me to say I'm, I'm on board for more, mm-hmm. but if it's as good as I hope it is, then I will be. Yes, absolutely. So uh, that is all we have for this episode. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, share, retweet, and more. Plus you can head to iTunes, give us a five-star view with comments. Please do it if you can. If you have not yet, um, I 
guessing some of you have not. So if you have not, please do it because it helps us grow, reach more people. And uh, if you do it by the end of the summer, you'll be entered to win a prize pack of posters for summer releases. We'll be giving those away if you give us a review. So do that. Uh, but that's all we have. So during time away, be sure to tell us your thoughts. Everything we covered by joining us at Friends of Film. We receive updates on the podcast, movies, and more. You'll follow me personally on Twitter at Coops underscore Hoops. And you can argue with me, Josh, at Just Joshua Ryan. Thanks again for tuning in to the Friends of Film podcast. Josh. Thanks for stopping by, everyone. And be sure to tune in next week for a review of Atomic Blonde.